welcome to the Fox River Podcast. Our mission is a heart for people and a message of Jesus. We hope you are encouraged in your faith through this message. Thanks for listening. Good morning, Fox River. How's everybody doing this morning? So glad you guys came to church this morning. I confess I was a little shy last night, and I'm not always shy, but uh, I thought, do they know me? Do they remember me? I was back in February. I was here. Any of you were here back then? All right, you're still working on pronouncing my last name, but uh, I, I tell people all you need to know about me is I used to be in Guy's church back about like 60 years ago or so, and he's still kicking. It's incredible. It's so fun to see Pastor Guy. Every time I see him, I'm just remember. I, I just want to remind you, if, I, if anything you don't like about this message, I probably picked up from him. So you can blame him. He's not even here now. He left. <laughs> That's how good last night was. No, he's, he's awesome. I'm a lot more sensitive than him. Uh, a lot nicer and funnier, but you can tell them that later. <laughs> but we are in a series called 23 and Me, and uh, open your Bibles if you have them to Luke chapter 5. I'm going to read the text in a minute. Uh, if you're wondering what have I been doing in the time since I was last here, I uh, picked up pickleball. Any pickleball players here? I actually won a championship too at a women's conference. So look at that. And I, and I wrote a book, and it's out. So if you want to check it out, come to the table. I'll be out there after the service. And so I think you'll uh, enjoy uh, a lot of the stuff we have for you there. But seriously, I, uh, I'm a doctor, and uh, I have a ministry. So I'm in medicine. My specialty is in pediatric ER. And it's a little relevant, I guess, because we're talking today about 23andMe. And if you're new to, to church today, uh, the series is not about Michael Jordan. And it's, uh, it's not about uh, DNA, although I think in this way it might be, this is, I guess, a double helix. I think they thought, because I was a doctor, I might understand something about science, but they can hold their breath. <laughs> I'm just an ER doctor. We don't know a whole lot of science, but we can save your life if you die. So you're in good place <laughs> for that. But, uh, but I think I, my part in this series is to talk about work. So I still work full time as a physician. Now I do telehealth, and uh, I also felt called to ministry to teaching the Bible back in the year 2000, 2001 in that uh, time season. And I have a ministry called Living with Power Ministries. I write and I speak about the Lord. And, uh, and then we also, a few years ago, started doing work in my home country, Lebanon, with Syrian refugees and have expanded to help the Lebanese. People in crisis is who we like. And so we're praying. Uh, we've expanded to do some work in the Ukraine as well. And God knows what will happen here in the next uh, few months, really, or even weeks as I'm watching this situation unfolds. So pray for uh, our partners in Lebanon. There's a lot of anxiety over what will happen and how even the situation will unfold into that country. But uh, whatever happens, here's the good news. uh, God is in control. Uh, Listen, listen, not just in the Middle East, but here today. Uh, Whatever is happening in your life, uh, maybe it's your first time in church in a long time. I've now been in church world enough to know that there's a lot of church pain and uh, whatever your job is, we're going to be talking about work. And you might be sitting here going, man, I hate my job. I, I'm dreading going back to work tomorrow. And, and, uh, and you live for the weekends because you just have to put up with a boss you don't like, coworkers you don't like. Or maybe it's the opposite. You love your work so much. Man, it, you, your wife had to pull you out of the office this morning to come here. See how I did that? I just blamed the men for the problems. 
<laughs> Speaking of uh, people who blame the men, Adam and Eve, I mean, think about back then and all the blame games started. Work, actually, all of the situation with work and problems with work started really in the fall. If you, and I don't mean fall weather-wise, perfect fall day today, by the way. Uh, you are lucky to live in this beautiful part of uh, Wisconsin and, and just really be able to see. I mean, it was like I told the pastor, said, it was like, it's, like I, I, it's like I could have paid for the drive from the hotel to here. It was so beautiful this morning. But, um, but, but Genesis 1 is when work was instituted. Genesis 1 is the first chapter in Scripture, and it is in that chapter that God actually gave Adam and Eve work as a gift, but of course, they blew it in Genesis 3, and after the fall, if you go back and read that later today, uh, in your maybe in your time that you're going to spend with God, in Genesis 3, you see that, that because of the curse, work became, because of the fall, because of sin, work became sort of a duty that often feels like something we don't want to do, and yet we spend such a big time of our life working. And so going back to the theme of 23andMe, the concept is that as you come to Christ, the Holy Spirit comes to live in you, and so there's a part of the old you that's still there, but then the Holy Spirit of God that saves you and, and, and justifies you before God and makes you perfect before God, that is positionally you've, you've become the righteousness of God in Christ, but as you live your life until the day that you meet Jesus, there's a change process happening. And so that change process is the Christian word for the sanctification, and, and, and the Holy Spirit uh, is constantly doing things in our life to bring us on the same page as God. And that doesn't just include spiritual things like coming to church and reading your Bible and, and those moments when you show up for a small group, but it means every part of our life ought to be invaded by the Holy Spirit of God. One of my favorite quotes ever is uh, this. It says, the amount of power that you experience to live a victorious, triumphant Christian life is directly proportional to the freedom you give the Spirit to be the Lord of your life. I'm going to say that again because it's such a powerful concept. The amount of power you experience to live a victorious and triumphant Christian life is directly proportional to the freedom you give the Spirit to be the Lord of your life. Not just one area, not just your marriage, not just your parenting, not just work, but every single area. And so today we're going to focus on work, and I thought a great place to be is in Luke chapter 5. It's one of the, I think, one of Jesus' favorite miracles. I think he had a couple of favorites because he only did two miracles twice. And one of them is what we're going to look at this morning, and the other one is the feeding of the 5,000. He fed people twice massively, miraculously. But today it's a fishing miracle, which many of you from Wisconsin, not to stereotype you, but a lot of fishermen here... All right, well, I guess not. Uh, a lot of Packer fans, though. A lot of Packer fans. All right, well, look, we one out of two. All right. Uh, <laughs> let me read the passage and pray and just give you three thoughts this morning on uh, what happens when the Holy Spirit, uh, uh, what, what happens when the Holy Spirit steps into your work. Now, the text is focused on Jesus, so when you see the notes in a minute, so what happens when Jesus steps into your work? But remember, if you watch the series so far, Guy uh, spoke early on to, to, to kind of introduce the concept that Jesus told the disciples, like, he had to leave because if he didn't leave, the Holy Spirit wouldn't come to live in us. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, three in one. So while the story focuses on Jesus, for us, practically speaking, in the New Testament, it is the Holy Spirit in us. So again, you can apply that in that fashion. But let me read the text, Luke 5, verse 1. It says this, on one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he, Jesus, was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. 
And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Now remember, what did Jesus do for a job? He was a carpenter. And now he's given Peter, what did Peter do for a job? He wasn't like a casual fisherman, like many of you in this room. He was like a pro. It was his thing. Like he owns Cabela, right? That's like Peter. And, and, and so Peter has been fishing all morning with his buddies, and they've had a rough morning. In fact, uh, here's what Simon Peter says to him. Simon was his, uh, Simon Peter is his name, so you see the word Simon here. It's the, the disciple Peter, who is very direct. Uh, I think if he was a doctor, he would have been an ER doctor, a little brash, a little aggressive, <laughs> a little intense. Oh my gosh, okay. So he said, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. Like, he's like, Jesus, all due respect. Like, I know a little bit about fishing. We've just wasted the morning, and you just preached forever, and I'm ready for home and breakfast. And, and he says, but, but at your word, I will let down the nets. Now, this is early in the life of the ministry of Jesus. He ha- I mean, they've seen some miraculous, but not a lot. So this is a big step of faith for Peter, but still, It says, when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at at Jesus' knees, saying, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. And I promise you, the more I read scripture, the more I believe that this is the miracle. Not that they caught fish, but that Simon's eyes were opened to the reality of who Jesus is. So many of us get so focused on the fish, but fish can only last you so far. But this knowledge of who Jesus is that only gets deeper with time. And so here's Peter. He realizes this. Is, For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. God, I prayed this morning that... For the person who is here who has not had that encounter with you yet, that miraculous transformation of leaving everything to follow you, that this this morning would be the day where you would meet them as their personal savior. And God, for those who know you, who are struggling right now with the need for breakthrough, I ask that you would just use your word like a sword to bring comfort and, and, and clarity and sharpness God, I beg you that you would revive our hearts as we gain a better understanding of who you are, that we would see, God, not our need for a miracle, but our need for a Savior. Spirit of God, Holy Spirit, we ask you to come and do what you do, to convict us, to teach us, to comfort us, to provide for us. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Three points, what happens when Jesus steps into your work? We don't have a lot of time today, so I'll just get right to it. Number one, when Jesus steps into your work or when the Holy Spirit steps into your work, everything changes. Everything changes. Think about it. You say, what changed here? Well, a lot was going on. First of all, fishermen, and I, you guys who fish, and those of you who don't, probably don't fish, because you know that the best fish come early in the morning. And I remember one time in my life, I went on a deep sea fishing trip. Once, because I learned that day that you have to wake up at 3.30 in the morning in order to do that. 
And I was done with that. So by the time that Jesus shows up now, they've already fished all morning. Like he could have, Jesus could have shown up sooner. He could have helped them sooner while they were still out in the boat fishing, but he didn't. He waited. Now they were at their wit's end. This is like the miracle that happens in the fourth watch of the night later in the gospels. Like you're like, like tired, you're weary, you've just been out to fish. And if there's anything that a fisherman is obsessed about is not just what they caught, but how many fish they caught and how big the fish are. And so here's now Peter who has his crew and they've all come in and they're tired and, and they're disappointed. And they, maybe they're a little disillusioned like with life in general because they have needs. They're not just working for fun. They're working to eat. This is their livelihood. And so, so there's probably a lot going on in their minds. And so now Jesus, by the way, He's been in the boat, and they're the fishermen. They're doing their work, and Jesus is over there on the side. You can picture the scene with me. And, and they're listening in to what he's saying, and they like him already. They've established that, but they're not together in the work. But something happens when Jesus says to them, uh, hey, guys, uh, now that I'm, we're done teaching, let, let's, let's get to work. Put your nets in the water. And, and all of a sudden, there's a decision that has to be made, but we're going to see in a minute that when Jesus actually steps into the boat, things change like the impossible becomes possible. Uh, like the worn out, the burnt out regain focus. What a minute ago is a bunch of disciples who are worn out and weary and tired and cynical, maybe disillusioned about life because nothing has turned out the way that they wanted it to. And though they're working as hard as they can, they're not seeing the fruit of their work. Does anybody connect with that today? You don't have to raise your hand or nod your head, but I certainly know from my work that I've spent seasons in my life where I just don't understand it. I go out fishing all day, all night, tired. Why don't things go my way? And everyone else around you seems to be doing great. And now Jesus steps into the boat and everything regains focus and the ridiculous becomes the miraculous. My heart is heavy today for even people who are here who wish they had jobs. You, you might look around you and go, man, you hate your job. I wish I had a job to hate. And you're in that space, so you don't even have a fishing boat. It can be so heavy. And, and somehow in it, we think that Jesus is unaware of that. And yet Jesus not only knows it, he sort of is part of setting it all up. And, and, and excuse me for using the word sort of, because... Jesus is God Almighty, and God is aware of every single thing in our life, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And it's so easy to want to gloss over that. To, even as I'm teaching, it's so easy to be like, well, he sort of knows, and he works through the difficulties, but yet somehow God creates it all. Some of the most profound lessons in my life and some of the profound illustrations in my life have happened not by somebody's perfect example, but by the broken stories of people. We just watched one this morning. Man has cancer, and by the way, weren't you waiting for like him to like magically cure of cancer without the operation? Like you're waiting for that, right? And instead he has to go through the healing. Go into the hospital, chemo, surgery. He's got, his wife is pregnant during the whole thing. So easy to think, why isn't God just healing him miraculously? There's certainly stories of healings that happen. Some of you here in the church know that. But God chooses how he will work and how powerful it is to see a man who's still lifting his hands, glorifying God. Saying, man, I, 
I know where I could have been if it weren't for Jesus. And so when Jesus steps into your work, everything about your work changes. Even failure loses its power over you. You no longer have your identity linked to how much money you make, how many people know about you, how famous you are, how respected you are in your field, what your coworkers think about you. All of a sudden, your identity is in the person of Jesus Christ. Failure for Peter and the disciples was that they didn't have any fish. How stupid did they feel that morning? It's one thing to go fishing and like you come home and and you realize there's no fish and you don't want anyone to know, right? Because what do you do? You just hide the net and hurry up and clean up and you go home. But but they're not given that luxury. They have to sit in the morning while all of the people crowded, there must have been thousands of people crowded, and Jesus are watching their mega failure. Now, but 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 get this: had they not been miserably failing. They would have never had the setup for a miracle. Imagine if they had fished like a C minus day. Not a lot of fish, but enough. They would have been like, no, you know, you're Jesus is good. I don't need to throw my net in the other side. I already got some fish. Like, I don't need your help that much. I got discovered. But it was their inability to fend for themselves that positioned them in the place where they could see the miraculous. Some of the most outstanding movements of God in my life have happened when I found myself in places both professionally and in the ministry where I am so broken at my wit's end that nothing could get me out of that mess but Jesus. You say, what sort of things? Well, I've written so many books about it by now. It's laughable. Every time I think, man, I'm sure I've learned the lesson. I can now turn the corner. Now God's going to set me up for more victory. Instead, I find myself on my face. And it's in those places that Jesus steps in and says, you're not getting it. It's not about the outcome of the miracle. It's about understanding that I, Jesus, saying to me that I am the miracle. That's what happens in this parable. And so here's a second point. When Jesus steps into your work, so what part is our part? What part is God's part? God's part is really everything. The Holy Spirit's part is to help us do this next part, which is when Jesus steps into your work, doing what he tells you to will impact the outcome. When he steps into your work, doing what he tells you to do will impact the outcome. What did he tell the disciples to do? Throw in the net. Easy. You don't have to be a genius in English to understand that. You can even be a science major and understand. Put out into the deep and let down, put the net back in. Now, logic would say what? Logic would say, that's ridiculous. Logic would say, that's, they're going to mock us. No fisherman does that in midday. Who knows how long Jesus preached? It must have been late morning by now. Logic says, Jesus, you're telling me what to do. You're a carpenter. I'm a fisherman. Logic says, man, why don't we just do that tomorrow when people aren't watching? I don't want to embarrass you, Jesus. We'll look really stupid if we put the net in and nothing happens. But faith, faith says, I'm going to do what he says, and I'm going to see what happens. Faith says, I'm going to put my eggs in the basket of Jesus. I'm going to let God potentially be God, even if you don't fully believe it. Like the man who came to Jesus says, Jesus, I believe, but help my unbelief. Somehow we think if I have perfect faith, everything will happen. And, and we convince ourselves that the miracle is not happening in our life because we don't have perfect faith. But it's never been this amount of our faith, but the object of our faith that makes the difference. And we know that intellectually, yet we catch ourselves in this balance of wondering, should I do what God wants me to do? We don't understand that the entire point 
of, of a relationship with Jesus is to grow in trust and dependence in him. So you say, man, what kind of things could Jesus be asking us to do in our workplaces? Well, it's not hard to imagine in 2023 the type of things that he might be asking. Some things might be just taking a stand on, on, on controversial topics. You see, man, I, I really don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. I'm not talking about going on Facebook and putting an update there. I'm not talking about that. I think that's a coward's way out. I'm talking about building relationships with people at your work. That means, yes, liking them enough to talk to them. But newsflash, we were told that love is what we are to give the world. Not money, not our time. Well, well we can serve God with our time. It's our love. It's our love. It means understanding someone that we might not agree with and listening to their story and patiently allowing life to bind us more and more together because, listen, it is not an accident what workplace you're in. It is not an accident who the people in your work are. It is not an accident if you're in a ministry who your co-workers in ministry are. God knows. And it is building those relationships in time. Maybe the Spirit of God is saying to you, man, I need to be kinder to my co-workers Maybe the Holy Spirit is telling you, man, I need to be more diligent instead of cutting corners like everybody else. Maybe he's just telling you to work harder or maybe the opposite. I've had the opposite in my life. God has said, said to me in my life over and over again, man, you need to back off a little. It doesn't all depend on you. It's so easy, especially in the world of my work now. I do work on the phone. And if you're working from home on the phone, you understand the lure of if I just work a little harder, I'll just make a little more and I'll have the security that I long for. And so little by little, you can erode things in your life like going to church, like small group, like morning prayer if you have that. Whoever had, I was going to pick on the men, but really it's, that's kind of sexist. And so I apologize. Morning prayer is always like the men's thing, right? Women go to evening. What is that? Your quiet time, your time with God, you skip it. Because if you just could get to work a little bit sooner, you could just bring in a little bit more income. This happened to me this week. I was talking to a guy who was diagnosed with COVID. And I said to him, well, you've got to be home for five days. He says, I, no problem. I work from home. He says, I got to keep the money coming in. And I said to him, man, money doesn't buy you happiness. He said, I agree. But sure pays those bills. We are so reliant on our own selves to provide for our own resources. What if your step of obedience is saying, God, I'm going to honor you. I'm going to honor you with my time. I'm going to put you first. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. What if that's your step of obedience? And so for the disciples, it was a simple thing of putting their nets in the water. But, but it was even deeper than that because at the heart of putting the nets in the water was what? It was belief. It was trusting God. Listen, all obedience isn't about doing what God says. Oh my goodness, I checked the marks. God's going to honor me because I did what he wanted me. Obedience is about trust. Do you trust God to provide for your needs? By the way, if you're jobless right now, your point of obedience may simply to be waiting that might be the hardest thing for you to do is to simply wait on the Lord. If you hate your job right now and want another job and you're looking frantically, maybe God is saying, be still and know that I am God. Do you trust him enough to wait through the season knowing that he will provide for everything you need? Your obedience is your pathway to breakthrough. 
your obedience will pay off in time. But your obedience is also public for all to see. Every man and woman at the seashore that morning was watching the disciples. I love that this is the exact miracle that Jesus repeats a few months later after the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And Peter, the very Peter who acknowledges Jesus as Lord, is the one who bows to the ground and says, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. That's very same Peter would go on to deny Christ at the crucifixion. Listen, just because you have insight on who Jesus is today doesn't mean you're going to have it every day. You might backslide. You might forget. You might, we're human. God knows our humanity. But Jesus shows back up, and as a point of reminder, he says to Peter, look, Peter, he shows up at, the, at John 21, and he says, put your net on the other side of the boat. And, and they still don't fully get it until they put the net in, and they catch the fish. And in John 21, we're told that 153 fish were in that net. But what was more profound in John 21 is not just that Jesus does the miracle again, but that Jesus would sit with Peter that morning and have breakfast. And he'd say to him, man, if you love me, feed my sheep. Jesus was never in the business of making Peter into a better fisherman. Jesus' goal was to make all of us better fishers of men, better people who saw him for who he is, people who believe his promises and his character and his goodness. It's hard to trust God's goodness when the chips are against you, when the world is falling apart, but that is precisely the moment that distinguishes us from a world that washes and says, if God cares, why would this be happening? Well, we know why it's happening because Jesus paid the price for our sins and he's coming again to reign forever. And it is up to you and me as we wake up tomorrow morning. Guy's not going to be going to your workplaces to tell people about Jesus. You're going to be going to your workplaces to tell people about Jesus. Like Guy is like, can go, you know, he can be all things to all people, but he even has a limit. You are in your schools, by the way. See some younger people here. I can't go into your school anymore. People can't, we can't do that. But you are in your classrooms, in your colleges, in your workplaces for a reason. The third and last point is this. When Jesus steps into your work, what you do is transformed from a job to a calling. We all have this bad habit of sort of comparing our jobs to others. And we think, oh, he must be so much more spiritual because he's in the ministry, or she must have so much more influence because she writes about God. And, 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 and I, I constantly want to bring this to the forefront of our understanding. The only difference between a job and a calling is understanding who you see yourself working for. You can be a janitor and be in your calling when you're cleaning toilets for the glory of God. There was a man who did that once. His name was Brother Lawrence, and he wrote, he wrote a book that has been a bestseller for years called Practicing the Presence of God. It doesn't matter what you're doing. You could be in ministry and not do it for the glory of God. You could be doing it for the glory of yourself. God protect us from being people who forget that the very gift of location that God has given you is that sacred space that he wants you to glorify him. The difference between a job and a calling isn't just who you see yourself working for, but why you're doing what you're doing. Are you still doing it for the money to protect your identity? Well, I know who I am. I'm a doctor. You better call me doctor. People got into fights about this on Twitter a year or so ago. Do you see yourself first as a child of the king? My favorite 
biography of all times is probably the story of William Borden. William Borden was a young man who's from Chicago. That's where I live now. He came from a very rich family, and William Borden had, uh, was the rightful heir of the Borden Dairy Conglomerate. And so he had his future set. After high school, his parents gave him a trip to go all around the world uh, just to kind of grow in his knowledge of cultures and he went and what he came home with was a deep love for missions. I don't know if his parents were counting on that, but he came home and decided he would be a missionary to China. And he wrote in his Bibles two words. He wrote, no reserves. People thought he was crazy. He went to Yale University and had a huge impact on campus. He started a movement of revival. And people thought for sure he'd change after college and give up that and go into business and take over the ministry. And look at how many people you could help with the money you would make. And Instead, he, after Yale, wrote in his Bible two words, no retreats. So now he had no reserves and no retreats, and he was intent. He finished Princeton Seminary. He was only in his early 20s, and by then he'd already given over a million dollars to ministries. And, and after Princeton Seminary, he got on a boat to go to China, and he had a plan to stop in Egypt for a month to learn the language. And while he was there, he contracted cerebral meningitis, and he died that month. Because he was famous, he was a sort of celeb, he, word of his death came to the United States and across the board, people were saying what a waste of a life it was. It's so fascinating, I was reading in the web about him again and one guy wrote his comments and he says that recently he was in Egypt and he made it to the tomb of where William Borden was buried and he found the tomb and the, the tombstone and, he read the epitaph of William Borden, and this is what it said. It said, apart from faith in Christ, there's no explanation for such a life. They found William Borden's Bible after his death, and two more words were added. After no reserves and no retreats, two words were written, and it said, no regrets. Some of you here today will leave everything and follow Jesus. Some of you will do it literally. You will feel convicted to change paths in your life, in your work, in your calling, and that's awesome. Some of you will stay where you are, but mentally and emotionally, you will leave everything to follow Jesus. Wherever you are, it's God's presence that's our strength. And that's the part that the Spirit does in us. Ours is to simply trust and obey. And I wonder if your story and mine would end with this, that people would look at our lives and say, apart from faith in Christ, there's no explanation for a life such as this. So God, I pray right now as we close that you would deal with our hearts individually. Father, that you would convict us. God, I ask for the men and women here who have heard now your word your invitation for us to step into our callings. Father, that you would restore hope where hope is lost, that you would give perseverance where endurance is needed, that you would provide miraculously for those who just need a job. And God, I ask that for those who have a job, that it would not be our sole purpose in life, that we would see our lives besides buying a house and paying off mortgages and Find another house or a car or a boat or whatever it is that this world has told us will make us happy and would understand 
that even material things are simply a tool for your glory and for us to expand your kingdom with love, God, with love. We're now all over us are people who want to expand their kingdoms with hatred and with evil. And yet all you have asked us to do is to love you and love others. So God, I ask for those struggling to love people in their workplace who are difficult to love, that you would humble us and remind us that we too were unlovable and are unlovable, and yet you call us your children. So God, set us free. Father, for some who need the miracle of the fish, would you please help us to see that catch? Not for our glory, God, but for yours. Father, may it be said of us that apart from you, our lives will not be explainable. It is in your name I pray. If you were encouraged by today's talk, be sure to subscribe and share with your friends. Visit us online at foxriverchristian.org or check us out in person. Thanks again for listening to the Fox River Podcast.